Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from Equi Institute, where we have real conversations about real safety issues in healthcare. I'm your host, Paul Anderson. Today, we're talking about reprocessing flexible endoscopes, which, when performed ineffectively, can have devastating effects for patients and for a facility's bottom line. Contaminated endoscopes can spread infections like HIV and hepatitis B and C, and facilities that discover incomplete cleaning and reprocessing have been required to notify sometimes tens of thousands of patients that they could be infected causing those patients stress and worry, and damaging the facility's reputation, even when patients aren't infected. All right, to get us started, I'll ask each of our two guests to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Jackie Ferenczak. I'm a risk analyst with ECRI's Patient Safety Risk and Quality Group. And my name is James Davis. I'm a senior infection prevention analyst and patient safety consultant with the PSRQ group at ECRI Institute. So, Jackie, before we get into some of the details, I wonder if you can give us some examples of situations where ineffective reprocessing has happened and maybe what some of the consequences were in those cases. Sure. Unfortunately, many times with these reprocessing issues, a hospital won't even know that there's an issue until thousands of patients are affected. So, for example, in 2008, there was an improper reprocessing of endoscope equipment that led to 10,000 colonoscopy patients to be recalled because they may have been exposed to bloodborne pathogens. And then in 2014, there was that big duodenoscope issue. These duodenoscopes are very complicated devices, very difficult to reprocess. And so there were outbreaks of the superbug CRE, and they tied it back to the duodenoscopes. And they actually found that it wasn't necessarily a reprocessing issue. The devices just may not have been able to be reprocessed properly. You gave two examples of these huge-scale potential outbreaks anyway. I know they weren't actual outbreaks, but risky situations. Do we have any sense of just how common these kinds of situations are where we have either large-scale scenarios or even just smaller-scale ineffective reprocessing. So there was one study that estimated that there were 30,000 patient recalls between 2005 and 2012 due to reprocessing issues. And actually, there was a recent study in April of this year, 2018, that was published in the American Journal of Infection Control where researchers tested scopes from three hospitals, and 71% of them tested positive for some type of bacteria. This puts patients at risk, at a high risk of infection. So, Jim, that's a lot of patients put at a lot of potential harm. You know, Jackie mentioned that there may be some devices where it might not even be possible to clean these things effectively. So maybe if you could shed some light on why is it so hard to clean these things effectively? First of all, you have to realize that these scopes in question have lots of ports in them and uh, ports and, and channels. So it's not just a tube that the general public might think is just this tube with a camera on the end. It's actually meant to take biopsies. So there's things that you could put down these channels to do therapeutic things, to do diagnostic things, forceps, things like that, where you'd be taking tissue samples. When you think about that, and these, some of these scopes are quite complex and can have anywhere between two to five or more of these channels. So when it comes to reprocessing them, what the technicians and reprocessing folks need to do is at the point of care. So immediately when they're done with it, they should be doing enzymatic cleaners and things like that and, and flushing out these channels to keep the scope wet and covered in this in enzymatic cleaner that's going to break down proteins and all this you know biomatter and things like that. And then they get transported to the reprocessing area, whether it's in the hospital, in a clinic, or wherever. And then there's a whole manual process of cleaning it before, depending on the type of washer you use. If you're even using a washer, you should be. When they're using the washers, we've seen people contaminate the washer lid with gloves they were using because they were cleaning the scope, and then they put it in and touch, don't change their gloves and just contaminate the area they're working in. 
some folks realize it and clean it off, but most folks don't because there's a lot of production pressure as well. So it's multifactorial. There's a lot of human processes that need to happen in, in the right order. Then when you're using a washer, you have to place it in the washer but not, not contaminate the outside of the washer on your work area. And then when it comes out, you need to, depending on the machines you're using, sometimes you can get a flush, but then you also have to do your alcohol flushes and your, your air flushes. And then after that, you still need to hang it in a cabinet in the right way so they're not looped. And so fluid isn't collecting and growing. Uh, the tips aren't touching the bottom of the cabinet. Your cabinet's long enough for the scope. So we've seen scopes like, you know, rolled up like a garden hose <laughs> hanging <laughs> in these cabinets. And it's like, you're just channeling fluid that'll eventually grow. So there's a whole lot of things when it comes to reprocessing, but there's also issues with design. So we talked about the ERCP scopes with that elevator channel and how difficult it is to clean. So when the CDC went back and observed some of the original processes during the CRE outbreaks and the patient notifications, they saw that people were doing it perfectly and the scope was still cultured positive at the end because of the design of the scope. So did the instructions for use really address how to clean that scope with the equipment you had at hand? So that's a huge thing. And that goes with a lot of different equipment as well, not just endoscopes. So it's designed for the person, the clinician that's using it, to get the results that they need to treat or diagnose the patient. But it comes in the question when you hear about things like this, is it actually designed to be reprocessed and actually be cleaned? Well, you know, I mean, that's actually the and question. Disinfected. And disinfected. Sure. I mean, that's the question that's occurring to me as you're talking is, I understand sort of the motivation behind somebody wanting to reprocess a device, right. any kind of device. It makes me think about the challenges that you talked about with reprocessing these things. And Jackie, you touched on this as well with the duodenoscope. Can these devices be effectively cleaned? And if not, why are we trying to? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point because you have to understand that, especially like the scopes that are specialty scopes, like the elevator channels, scopes with elevator channels, they're really expensive. It's a really technical piece of equipment. And at this point in device development and the time we are in currently with technology, scopes like that are a necessity. It would be to say, okay, we're never going to use a scope again. You're not going to be able to diagnose and treat patients sure. as far as an ERCP goes. However, there are, as we're seeing, some of the simpler scopes, there are starting to be disposables on the market. Again, you know, you have to look at cost as well because you just can't say, oh, we're moving all disposables. It has to fit your practice and, and what you're doing with patients. Would it be ideal if, as an infection preventionist? I'd want everything to be disposable. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's like just use it once on a patient and throw it out. We don't have to worry about it. But some equipment just or some devices just don't lend themselves to that because they're so technical and so expensive. So, yeah, I mean, that's the big quandary right now is how, where we are with technology, how much disposable can we get to? Now, I got to tell you from a cost perspective, if I was a CEO or whatever, or CFO looking at cost, we shouldn't solely be looking at just cost. I know cost is the bottom line, but when you think about an outbreak investigation or sure. patient exposures and notification, you know, I've been involved with ones that were a couple hundred to a thousand patients, and it takes the epidemiology staff days to make multiple staff for days notifying patients, counseling patients, making sure patients understand. So it's not just like this five-minute phone call with one patient going, hey, oh, by the way, it's going to be like, hey, oh, by the way, and, 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 and. And then you have sometimes get into talking to a spouse. And, and, you know, you know and, and I think, Jackie, sometimes these, it involves not just the conversation, right? But we're 
bringing people in for testing. Right. right. And it gets out to the press. They hear these stories. Oh, this hospital had 10,000 patients affected by this possible bloodborne yeah. pathogen outbreak. That's an issue. That's bad press for the hospital. And that people was might not the, want to go there. Agreed. And that was the hospital doing the right thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus going, oh, we're not going to call anybody, right? So it's like the, you, know, you get the bad press, but you did the right thing. So it's almost like damning you for doing the right thing. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be. What should happen is, is that not that all media is bad. I don't want to get <laughs> that, but it should be more to the story, not just right. this happened. Bang. Um, <laughs> you know, with, especially with the ERC piss, it could happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. You know? So you touched on, Jim, when you were talking about, okay, we want to take these the scopes as soon as they use, get them in the enzymatic cleaner, keep them wet. Right. right. And so you talked about some of the steps that need to happen. And you mentioned some of the production pressures that can really affect the techs who are doing the cleaning and the reprocessing. Right. Can you give maybe an example of some of those kind of pressures? Or are there other factors just in the daily environment of either a hospital or an outpatient setting or wherever that really make it harder to do the steps in the right order? You're asking a good question. And that's, there is production pressure. It is all about, you know, when it comes to a financial perspective, if you have an endoscopy clinic going or you're a physician's office that has an endoscopy suite or you're a suite in a hospital, Revenue is how many patients you can get through, right? So do you have enough equipment to support your patient loads? Or are you forcing your staff to be continually reprocessing all day long, 8, 10 hours a day, because you have to turn over the scope so quickly because you don't have enough inventory of the correct scope? So it's not just about an ERCP scope. There's multitudes of other scopes that are available. So it's like, do you only have one ERCP scope and you're doing 16 ERCPs that day? So you have to reprocess that scope quickly. So what's going to happen, right? People are going to be pressured, stressed. Maybe someone's barking at them in the background for the scope because the patient's there and they're going to try and get ahead of the game. Right. You know? And then what happens? Shortcuts happen or omissions happen and then the person who's reprocessing doesn't even know it. So they're set up to fail. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the bigger issues. You touched on endoscopy clinics and there are other outpatient settings that are using these things. Do we have any sense of whether these issues arise more frequently in one setting or another or is this sort of a universal problem? That's another great question because, you know, when you're looking at environments where these scopes are reprocessed, right, some places are set up better than others to maintain that dirty to clean flow. And what I mean by that is the physical environment they're reprocessing the scopes in. So do you have one countertop that used to be a janitor's closet and you're trying to do all these scopes in an insufficient place and every time you move you're contaminating something without even knowing it just because of <laughs> the box you've been placed in? Or is it designed ground up to be a cutting-edge endoscopy suite where you have a dedicated area that's designed following guidelines to reprocess high-level disinfection equipment? There's huge issues when it comes to environment. I've been on consults where I'm standing between the automated reprocessors machines and my back is touching the wall mm -hmm. behind mm -hmm. me. So it's like, you know, I'm not a thin guy, but I'm not incredibly fat. <laughs> but, you know, it's like that's not enough room to have two feet or three feet between a wall and the opening of cover of a machine. Right. So, Jackie, Jim talked about some of the inventory issues, lack of sufficient equipment that can really create production pressures on staff to turn these things around. I assume that the corollary to that is that there are staffing issues, too, or there could be. So is that something we see? Absolutely. You need to make sure that you have enough qualified staff on hand to handle the reprocessing load. Now, staff is not necessarily required to be certified by law. Some states may have stricter laws than others, but all facilities should be encouraging staff to be certified. There are certification programs out there that they can look into. If I could just dovetail on that, too, that you know, I have strong feelings about having dedicated staff performing reprocessing of high-level disinfection, right? I've been in scenarios where we've observed workflow where it's the nurse who's just done the case with the physician 
doing the pre-cleaning that should happen at the site, but then also taking that scope back and reprocessing and then mm-hmm. moving on to that. So it's like, do you have dedicated reprocessing staff or are you having staff that are multitasking and, and because of more production, think about turning over scopes, but then also think about trying to take our patients. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay. And presumably it's this? not just this turning over the scope, right? It's turning over the room where the patient is being cared exactly. for and so on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you do have dedicated staff, it's important to make them feel like they're a member of the team. Oh, yeah. And recognize their importance in this process because it is a critical process. This is a mission-critical task. This is something that can't be messed up and missed or take shortcuts. It's all about patient care. And I think I certainly, as a layperson, have this image of the reprocessing taking place sort of in the fourth sub-basement in a dark room with no windows. And I imagine if you're one of the folks who lives in, it's even reality, but if you're one of the folks who lives in that environment, who works in that environment, it can be easy to feel forgotten and sort of an afterthought. Yeah, and especially, you know, we do a lot of hospital-based consults and a lot of clinic-based consults where we're not just talking about scopes, we're talking about stall processing departments in general. And you're absolutely right. They're in the basement, there's no windows, the dirty side's, you know, hot and humid. I've been in places where it's been so uncomfortable that they have cooling vests Mm -hmm. underneath their PPE, and it's like, well, I couldn't imagine... I guess you get used to it, but and we talked about the environments and space before and where we expect these things to happen, and we really need to think about the environments of the folks who reprocess these, not only from a space perspective, but from a climate perspective sometimes as well. And then there's production pressure on top of that. It's a thankless job, and we need to thank them for it. You know, Jim, given all the challenges that there are in sort of the current state of the technology and getting these things clean, disinfected, reprocessed, whatever's appropriate, do we have a sense that the technology is moving in a direction that will make these processes easier, cleaner, safer? Yeah. I mean, that's a difficult one to answer. There's so much of this equipment out there that could be designed a little bit better from a cleaning perspective. Like I mentioned before, it's designed for the clinician, right? That's the main concern is can we do this job? Does it ergonomically fit in the clinician's hands? Does it do the right things? And can we diagnose or treat the patient with the equipment? But we didn't really think about cleaning, at least it seems, with the ERCP scope issue. So I think certain scope manufacturers of the less technical scopes, like I mentioned before, are at least thinking about or new companies are coming up that are making disposables, which takes it out of the equation. I think seeing that as time goes on, some of these more complex scopes may turn into disposable or, I mean, we know that the FDA is heavily involved looking at these manufacturers as well. So hopefully that regulatory pressure and evaluation and some of the stuff that ECRI's put out about recommendations will kind of get to the manufacturers and say, hey, in future designs, how do we actually clean this? And that's true here. I mean, ECRI, we look at IV pumps too that are the same sure. way. I mean, it's any equipment. Can we clean it? Can we disinfect it? In this case, can we high-level disinfect? Or are we going to move towards sterilization? There's a whole other thought process out there about reclassifying the Spalding classifications to make endoscopes potentially need to be sterilized. And what does that mean? That's, that's a huge impact. Mm-hmm. So most of the scopes, because of design and equipment, because they're flexible, can't tolerate steam right. Right, and mm-hmm. heat. So we bring it back ethylene oxide, right. which is mm. a whole other issue with health the and worker control safety and issues. worker safety. Yeah. So it's like, are we taking a big step backwards to go forward, or are we going to actually develop things that are more technologically advanced for, from the cleaning and, and disinfection standpoint? You know, Jackie, anytime we talk about processes that have to do with, I mean, any kind of infection control, but I mean, really any kind of quality improvement risk management process, we get into monitoring. So what are some considerations for an organization that's trying to keep track of what's going on? You need to make sure that the reprocessing steps are being documented. That's very important for if you want to go back and track later if there is an outbreak. You want to make sure that staff is trained at regular intervals and that their competency is assessed on a regular basis. And this is especially important when you get a new endoscope model in the hospital. 
they need to be trained to use that model and to reprocess that model. You need to have a process for reporting lapses in reprocessing procedures to the facility's infection control department and to any notable parties that may be related to that, such as FDA. If there is an outbreak, you need to report that to FDA and to certain government agencies. And you need to periodically review your protocols to ensure that they comply with the model-specific guidance from each manufacturer, and not only from the manufacturers of the endoscopes, but also the manufacturer of the reprocessor. Make sure that that reprocessor can handle that endoscope. Makes sense. It's actually a good segue into sort of where I want to wrap things up, which is there's some very big picture issues here about staffing and inventory and environment and manufacturer issues. But for folks who are listening and they want to start somewhere, where can they start? What are some maybe one or two sort of quick steps they can take today that can start to make sure they're moving in the right direction? And Jackie, you want to go first? Sure. One thing, when I wrote the article, I spoke to Chris Levanchi on our health devices group, and he emphasized pre-cleaning. I think Jim also mentioned the importance of pre-cleaning at the site of use. And he used this analogy with a dinner plate, where if you eat a saucy dinner and then you put the plate aside and you let it sit for an hour or two, it's going to get very gross and hard and it's going to be impossible to clean, or not impossible, but very hard to clean. Well, it's the same with these scopes. They're very thin, flexible devices. How can you... It's very important for you to make sure they're rinsed out at first. So that process is started and they still have time to harden and sit and get gross. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. It's kind of like the uh, my daughter puts the plates in the dishwasher and then runs it without cleaning them. So the next day I'm out there with a putty knife scraping off the, the peas, <laughs> you know. So it's kind of the same thing, and especially when we talk about small, delicate channels and equipment that's made to move and flex. So that's definitely uh, worth considering. But I would also go, there's a lot of steps you can take tomorrow, today, where I would make sure that I know where my IFUs are or instructions for use for all the equipment mm-hmm. that's being processed. Make sure that my policies for reprocessing are matching the IFUs. Make sure your IFUs are current. We go in a lot of facilities where the IFUs aren't current. They don't match the policies. And then how can you hold, you can't hold staff accountable if they're following your policy, but you wrote it against an IFU or you didn't update it with the newer IFU. The other thing too is, you know, you need to provide some sort of auditing of processes and feedback to the staff. And that shouldn't be like, oh, we do EOC rounds in this department once a year or environmental care rounds. And we incorporate that into it. It should be, okay, you know, it should be staff with staff. It should be management looking at staff. And then it should be some sort of coordination with epidemiology and infection control looking at the process as well. So it should be tiered because certain disciplines are going to pick up certain things when they look at processes. And it shouldn't be punitive. Right. It needs to be constructive and it needs to be in a just culture. And it's all about doing the right thing and getting feedback to do the right thing for the patients. There should be some value in, you know, don't take a shortcut there. We want to do this right. We don't want to do this quickly. We want to do this the right way to make sure that it's safe. Yeah, and the dovetail on that, too, we learned a lot when we did the Ebola preparedness assessments, at least in Pennsylvania, where when we looked at people donning a Dolphin PPE as an example, they didn't know they contaminated themselves because they're busy doing putting on PPE or taking off personal protective equipment. So when you're outside and just say, just show me your process. You know, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. Right. Show me your process. And, you know, you turn around and the, the tip of the scope hit a wall or the side of the machine because you don't have enough space to work. That's something you may not see yourself, but something somebody looking around with you can say, oh, wow, look at that. How can we fix that? So it does, if it can happen to you, it can happen to anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing. And we learned that within situ simulation where everybody thought they were doing their PPE right for Ebola. And then we were like, well, you know, your butt just touched the wall. Maybe we should rethink about where we're going to manage these patients, you know? So. <laughs> All right. Jim Davis, Jackie Franchak, thank you both for joining us today. Jackie Franchak is a risk management analyst with Ecri Institute. And Jim Davis is a registered nurse and infection control specialist with Ecri Institute PSL.